0: Welcome back to another edition of the Bo Rush Podcast. This is episode 012. I'm your host, Travis Stowe, and with me is my co-host, Scott Nelson. How you doing
1: today, Scott? Not bad, buddy. How you doing?
0: Man, I'm doing pretty good. Just got back into uh, fitness not too long ago, starting to shred some of the fat, and uh, it's been pretty exciting. In 30 days, I'm starting to see my abs again, and then you know getting into the new year it's, it's something that a lot of people start trying to do and well i'm not just trying i'm actually doing
1: that's awesome and, you know it's kind of funny you know i'm i'm somewhat in the same boat with you you know I've, I've been in pretty good shape and you know went through this big transition big move coming coming back down to georgia and uh some of the you know, the weight training and the exercising you got put on a hold trying to get everything going um now i find myself in in the in the dead of winter uh and, and just really <laughs> trying to crank it out and get in Get back in in, in peak shape. You know, we have turkey season right around the corner, and you know that's uh, that's not just weight. that's a lot of moving and covering a lot of ground as quick as you can. So um, definitely feeling great. You know, I've, I've shut off a, a, a good amount of weight. Um, you know, I'm starting to lean out, and, and I'm really feeling like I'm in I'm in good form and, and ready for this, this turkey season. That's awesome. You know, we're we're just starting up this this kind of second season. We had a great first season. Awesome guests. And this is actually, you know, the person we're bringing on today is someone that, you know, we we looked at bringing on, you know, kind of early into the first season and we held off. We wanted to really find the right time and, and it kind of presented itself. The opportunity came, came around and I'm just super excited to, uh, to have her on. Stand me if I'm wrong, but, you know, I believe this is the first time we've had a woman on the Bow Rush podcast and a phenomenal archer, you know, all the way around, a phenomenal hunter well-versed in the industry and and just has a great name behind her
0: and for all you psc shooters you'll be excited to know that she chooses psc as her bow of choice in fact she also uses that same equipment
1: to teach i'm excited to have her on tell us a little bit tell the listeners a little bit about who's who's coming on talked with us today
0: her name is jen the archer cordero and you can find her on facebook she's a very outspoken woman in fact this podcast ends up we're going to be doing a two-part segment because we had such a great conversation with her that we needed to split this up so it wouldn't be two hours long so if you're listening to this one make sure afterwards definitely listen to the following one on the podcast 13 but um she personally is someone that this is what's going to get most people. She was a vegetarian that's become an archer, a hardcore hunter. You don't hear that often. And she's got an incredible story of how she became that and where she progressed from one point to the other. Uh, I can't wait till where
1: we get to, to speak with her. Absolutely. You know, keep a couple things in mind. Jen is, she'll talk a little bit about, she's, she's from the middle of California. You know, she is, she's not in montana she's not you know in in some state that is super super happy to have people hunting and she's right in the middle of a, a lot of the um, a lot of the controversy that's going on california is a big place for that right now between hunting and gun laws and she is absolutely thriving um she is making such a great impact on the archery industry not just with adults not just with women which she is representing women phenomenally but with youth and you know that's one of the big points and uh, big things she'll talk about is you know the next generation you know where where are they learning where are they you know getting the idea to go outside and be outdoors and who's really given them that opportunity you know I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to uh bring her on I'm glad she took the time out
0: oh yeah me too I'm really happy that she was willing to come on and share with us Before we bring her on, I wanted to let everybody know, as we mentioned on Facebook, uh, we're a few weeks behind, and it all happens to be because of me. Uh, Sure enough, we had this incredible conversation, which you're about to hear, but afterwards, I get sick. I got TKO'd for about 9 to 10 days. I was sick as a dog, and we could not do our intro and follow up through this conversation so it took a really over a week or so to finally get back up and finish this up but uh, I hope you really like what we talked about and uh, I guess we should get started so Jen thank you for coming on the Bo Rush podcast show and spending some
1: time and talking with us
2: thank you so much
1: so Jen how did your day wrap up I know you had to uh, you had to go to work for a while um, how to go for you today
2: um well Ted Nugent shared my page.
1: <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome.
2: <laughs> then Eva Shockey shared my page. Then Jim Shockey shared my page. So uh, with all of that, today was a good day. That is awesome.
1: Uh, I told you, Travis, and you know, we we talked a little earlier, Jen, kind of on just a brief overview on some of the things we wanted to touch on. I guess starting out it is kind of going back to where you were when you when you started this whole thing. You you were vegetarian. You know, there's <laughs> <laughs> which, I, which that, is crazy to say. <laughs>
2: I, I hid it in the closet for so long when I first started shooting archery.
1: So you were actually a vegetarian while you were
2: no, while no, you no. became an archer? No, 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 I wasn't. Okay. I, I, I became an archer because I wanted to kill a pig. Okay. But uh, it was a bucket list item. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't actually anything that I intended to stick with. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was just a bucket list thing. I just wanted to kill a pig and I wanted to use a bow. I walked into a bow shop and said, Hi, my name is Jen. I want to kill a pig. What do I need to buy?
0: (laughs) That's pretty simple.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I went hunting and I I fell in love with it and I fell in love with archery. Um, But I was a vegetarian all through college um, and a few years after into my master's degree.
0: uh, Wait, Was that was for more of like uh, just health reasons or was there anything behind uh, it?
2: Yeah, well, it was, (laughs) you know, I, I did not decide to come become a vegetarian. Like I didn't wake up one day and say, Hey, you know what? I think I'm gonna become a vegetarian because I think I believe X, Y, or Z. Uh I was traveling in Peru. I was staying at a guest house behind a meat market that was an indoor meat market in one of those sort of like metal storage like mm-hmm. facilities, almost like a hangar. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to walk through it every single day. Well, you know, it was 105 degrees, 90% humidity, no air conditioning, no refrigeration. Uh, and meat was just sort of piled up at these stands for sale. Well, which I'm fine with. And it was really cool to look at, uh, and kind of see the local culture there, but there was just this like rotten smell of chicken, uh, (laughs) that I had to deal with, uh, because like I said, there's no refrigeration. Yeah. Meat was just being left out for, you know, days on end. Um, You know, you're talking about a global south country that just didn't have the resources to refrigerate stuff. And so while I was there, I decided to stop eating meat, one, because I couldn't handle the smell of the rotting meat. Uh, Every time I tried to sit down for dinner and I saw chicken on my plate, I was like, I can't eat this. (laughs) and then secondly because i was a little nervous about getting sick without the refrigeration so on that trip i did stop eating meat but it wasn't supposed to be like a permanent thing
0: it was just more of a safety reason
2: yeah yeah okay. and then 3 weeks later i you know i returned home was going to school up in northern california And I happened to go to a school that was very, it was a granola school. Let's just be frank. It was a granola school. (laughs) Uh, And I loved it up there. I absolutely loved it. Uh, And I I would go back and teach there in a heartbeat. But um, the food choices in the cafeteria there, uh, I was living on campus at the time, and the food choices at the cafeteria were all vegetarian, and they always had one meat choice every night. So because a lot of the students were vegetarian or vegan. And it was just very simple for me to stay not eating meat.
0: You're in the culture. Uh, and you know, once in yeah, Rome you, you yeah, you do as Rome do. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. just
2: sort of embracing you know, the culture of the school. And actually the vegetarian food they were serving was delicious and it was healthy. And the meat that they were serving was like packaged from, from frozen blocks of whatever. I don't even know. Uh, so and then I looked back three years after graduation or three years when I started to graduate and realized I had not eaten any meat in three and a half years. Wow. And it was just easy to stay that way. It sort of just become became a, a you know custom to to living that way. And I started thinking about it more and more. And you know I, I did jump on the bandwagon a little bit. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, um, but not so much where I mean I never was a vegetarian for like animal ethics. I was only a vegetarian because it given the time and circumstance, it was a healthier choice for me. And I didn't really have any incentive to go back to eating meat once I came back. So
1: your your surroundings kind of made the transition to, to stay I mean, you know, coming back from Peru, the transition was really easy because of the options that were there. Yeah. Now, you know, what you were talking about, it was a bucket list to, to go kill a pig. So why with a bow, and, and what made you pull the trigger? Because so many people have bucket lists. Everyone has, you know, those things they want to get done. And, and it's usually, when people are old and in their fifties, they're like, "Oh, I should do some of these." What made you pull the trigger, and and why that one? Because you got to have more than just that on your bucket list. Why that particular? Oh, I have a lot
2: of bucket list items, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I felt like I needed to be a badass for a minute. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't know. I, I.
0: You wanted to have that Rambo moment.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't
0: know how you would say a Rambo for a female, but like, there's got to be a Rambo female person out there. But that's what you were probably and looking I, for. I'm hesitant
2: yeah. to say that because the antis will jump all over that. You know, <laughs> they're <laughs> well, going to you... be like, "Oh, so she is a, uh, you know, what did what did they call me? A
1: um, uh, murderous killer." I think is one yes, of the terms they use. Yes.
2: Psychopathic murderer. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So that might have sociopathic tendencies. I don't know, feeling like Rambo. But um, yeah, I think it was on it was on my bucket list. And, you know, I was an FFA in high school. I raised all my own animals, veal, uh, pigs, sheep, chickens, I, I mean, steer. Uh, I was really active in FFA in high school. And I, I got away from that. In fact, when I was in high school, I thought I was going to go into swine husbandry and be a pig farmer when I grew up. So, pig farmer from Southern California, right? That sounds fantastic. But (laughs) um, I think I missed FFA a lot. And I I knew that I wanted to get back to understanding where my food was coming from. As a vegetarian, you know, I started to learn a lot about carbon footprint, which was totally like a a jargon word, still is. And I started realizing that the food I was eating wasn't any better. It was traveling from thousands of miles away, you know, and being processed and 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 shipped and packaged and all of these resources were going into it and I didn't think it was really any better, and so I think the idea of a pig is one I knew I was going to eat it
1: mm-hmm. and two everyone loves bacon everyone <laughs>
2: loves bacon <laughs> um, and two I think that I chose the bow and arrow because I really wanted the experience of the hunt. Not to say that firearms hunting isn't an experience to hunt, but I wanted to be able to get up close. I wanted to be able to spot and stalk. I wanted to be able to really be in the moment of badassery.
1: Well, here's one thing. So you're diving into it as, you know, you want to go kill a pig. You want to, you want to get up and close. You want to spawn stalk. Where did those terms come from? Where, you know, where in your past did you learn those, that those were what you wanted to do? Where, where did that idea come from?
2: I didn't know those terms. I just knew that's how I how it played out in my head.
1: <laughs> that's that's how the movie unfolded.
2: Yeah, you know, like you <laughs> remember those like little in, instamatic like viewfinder things, whatever they were, where you put the little circular disc with the <laughs> images in it, yeah. and you yeah. click the button and it goes to the each, each the next image. In my mind, that's that was my viewfinder role. That's how it was going to happen, and it was a bucket list item. Went hunting, film love. Never put down the bow since. But I also firearm hunt, you know, and it's funny that I'm getting uh, some heat for being an archer and, you know, you're getting people, people's feedback saying like, oh, well, at least it's not with a firearm. Well, if they would have done their research by clicking, I don't know, through two or three pictures on my page, they would realize that I actually do shoot guns too. Mm-hmm.
0: It shows that they're basically just narrow minded. They don't really do the full, complete research. And then they just see the title and they start complaining. Yeah. Trolling. Well, t- I think it's what it's called I- now. It's just trolling.
1: Trolling. Yeah,
2: what is trolling? That's a new term for me too that I've learned in the last uh, five days. But <laughs> um, you know, the name Jen the Archer was actually a joke. It was never supposed to be anything serious. My best friend basically told me that she needed something to differentiate between my two pages, my public pro- or my profile and my public page, because when she would respond from her phone, she it just said Jen Cordaro It didn't say you know she didn't know which profile she was using. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, I asked her, I said, well, what should I, how, what do you mean? How do you want me to make the differentiation? She goes, I don't know, put the archer in there or something. And so I did and it just stuck. <laughs> that's
1: that's it's a good awesome. name. It is. It, it fits very well. There's the whole hunting side. You went out, you went pig hunting, killed the pig and you stuck with, you stuck with archery.
2: I didn't kill a pig. You I didn't? I didn't kill a pig. <laughs> so
0: your bucket list still has not been complete.
2: It's true. Um, oh. It's true, but I'm going to Florida to pig hunt weekend after next. Actually,
1: okay, that's awesome. If you if you want to kill pigs, South Georgia and Florida are two of the best places you can go.
2: That's awesome. My friend killed a pig on that hunt, though. I didn't. Oh. Pig <laughs> I
1: was really bad. <laughs> so so you had a friend that hunted. You know, was that some people that surrounded you that were hunters as well? Or how did you get into get into that? Was it pe- meeting people at the local archery shop or how?
2: Um, I didn't have any friends that hunted. My family doesn't hunt. We don't know anybody that has anything to do with hunting uh, when I started this. Wow. Um, I literally walked into the archery shop and said, I want to kill a pig. What do I need to buy? That was <laughs> the first step. That's
0: first... Uh, pretty incredible.
2: <laughs> I thought about it for like a year and I just didn't know where to go. Um, the accessibility was an issue for me. And finally, yeah. I just decided, you know what, screw this. I'm going to go figure out where I need to go. You know, uh, that's interesting
0: because this is still a lot of people, even our, um, my age, I'm 30 and I have a kid getting people into the outdoors, bringing youth up. Um, I've remembered when I was lucky enough that, uh, my next door neighbors were hunters and my dad didn't like it. Didn't want anything. He would eat it, but he wouldn't actually physically go and do it. And his dad did. So it kind of gypped a generation and I didn't really get to know my grandfather. So you know, if I didn't have my next door neighbors, it almost makes me wonder, like, what would I have done? Would I have actually gone to a store and said, hey, would you tell me how to do this? I don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't in that situation. You happen to be. But I was lucky enough to have people to teach me at a younger age. Yeah. Um, but imagining what it would have been like, there's probably people out there that just maybe you're too afraid to go or too embarrassed to say, hey, I'd like to do this. How?
2: Yep. I agree with you 100. Um, percent I mean, it took me a year to be able to say, you know what? I don't care how stupid I look. I'm going into a store, and I'm I'm gonna make my statement, and hopefully they help me. If they don't, then they don't. But if they do, then I, you know, I'm on my way. That's great. And it wasn't a friend, at you know, really at the time that stepped up and said, "Hey, I'll take you." It was a random bow hunter that that took me and my best friend. We both went, and it, you know, it was just out of the kindness. Of his heart. it was. There was no other strange He had the passion.
0: He wanted to share it.
2: No, he, he told me word for word, Jen, when I saw you make that statement, in your eyes, I saw something that I have never seen in anybody's eyes before. When you said, this is what I want to do, I saw it in your eyes. I've never in my life invited some random person to come hunting, but the way you said it with... You know, with p- such passion, like you were gonna do it regardless. <laughs> do you want to be on, on a part of it? You want to get on board? Come on the train. <laughs> I knew that if I didn't make the offer, I would miss the train because you were gonna do it either way. <laughs> That's,
1: wow. awesome. So, That's awesome. That's uh, awesome.
2: Yeah, we went. He killed a pig. <laughs> 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 I, didn't, I didn't see a pig.
0: Did you? Uh, <laughs> did you get to experience the what happens afterwards?
2: Uh, well, I was, you know, because I was an FFA. Um, I, I mean, I have actually harvested. Pigs. Okay but they were my pigs that I raised. They okay. weren't, you know, it wasn't through hunting. It was through livestock production. And so I kind of, I already knew how to dress out animals because, okay. because of FFA, but, you know, I helped him drag it out of the canyon with drag straps in the middle of, well, it wasn't really the middle of the night. It seemed like it was probably like 7.30 at night, but it was dark <laughs> and cold. <laughs> and drug it out you know skinned it processed it out quartered it up and put it in some coolers it was really cool uh and he was really nice and he gave me some meat to come home
1: with that's nice well you know talk a little bit about once you came back from that and you started this journey on becoming jen the archer um you, you know you're what it sounds like and from from what i've seen and kind of what you told me you're pretty well decorated when it comes to shooting like you you can actually shoot like you're You're not just some girl out there, you know, hawking bows to people like you really can shoot. You know, how did you get to where you are now? What was that progression? Well,
2: I don't know if I can really shoot. It depends, I guess, who I'm being compared to. But I've never actually had a lesson. I've also never I I don't have a coach. I don't have any of those things. Uh, And I don't play sports or have a history of playing sports. (laughs) My hand-eye coordination wouldn't be too good. But I, I don't know. I guess.
0: Well, uh, if you don't mind me, I think Scott. This is what what I would assume. Every time I ever go, uh, even to the rifle range, and I take my my wife with me, and we're shooting, she's using a handgun. Surprisingly, she doesn't really have that much experience shooting. But every time she shoots, she's like a crack shot. She's shooting incredibly well. And one of the guys that work at the the shooting range, they're like you actually shoot really, really well. And when they find out she's just started, she goes, you know, you realize you're probably shooting better than most of these guys have been shooting for years. And he made a top ta- a, a basically a statement. He says, most women can actually aim a lot cleaner and shoot more straight than men on different types of, uh, from archery to uh, handguns, to rifles. They just have a better aim. So I'm, that could very well be the case.
2: Yeah. I heard that too. And I also heard, uh, you know and maybe i don't know how how much truth there is to this but i also heard that the the biggest difference between male and female shooters is that women will take the time it needs to to line up a good shot rather than you know there's a little bit more patience usually Mm -hmm. um i don't know i feel like that statement it depends on the person i mean that's a personality thing True. but you know i know a lot of women who are great shots i don't know why i have a decent shot i wouldn't say i have a great shot but i'm a decent shot uh you know, won a few things here and there. Um, but I'm not a competition archer either. Uh, you know, I, I do compete, but I compete because I think it's good for the sport. I don't compete because it's something that I love to do. I love to hunt.
1: Well, you know, that's that's kind of a big defining point because you have so many people out there in, in the archer industry, industry. And I found this out, just, you know, really over the last, you know, three or four years when I started to get a lot more involved is you almost have a defining point of the 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 hunter's that shoot competition and the competition shooters who hunt like there's really a defining point. They they put all their eggs in one basket and think the other one maybe helps helps the other sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So with yours, I mean you're you're a hunter and you shoot competition to make yourself a better hunter. How Correct. does that help? How does that help with your hunting?
2: Well, it keeps my arm in shape. That's for sure. You know, it's it's been a couple weeks since I picked up my bow, uh, and I can already feel my muscles were sore from from just doing a, a quick photo shoot, pulling back my bow and holding it at full draw, you know? So I think that shooting at competition level keeps you in shape, first of all. Second of all, it also allows you to make sure that you're on your mark, you know? What would we do if we didn't shoot at a target bag before we went hunting? I mean, <laughs> who knows where the arrow would go? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I think that that's another thing. But really, you know, yes, it helps me with hunting. But But like I said, I competition shoot because I think it's good for the sport. Not so much because... Of me and not so much because of my hunting. I shoot target archery because it encourages kids to do it. It encourages the community to come out to events, not because I'm there, but because the group of people participating is larger. You know, the more people that do it, the more people that want to do it. And so I think it's good for the sport as a whole. Um, So I make sure that I show up and I support local clubs when I can. If there's kids around that you know, maybe have been shooting with me or have expressed interest, we'll invite them out and say, hey, you know, you can't shoot this competition because you've never shot a bow, but come check it out. Immediately they want to go and buy a bow. Immediately they come and get lessons. And so I just, I think it's good for the sport as a whole, more than more more than anything else.
0: I think I remember reading something in the past, uh, maybe a few years back, that they did a study and that the youth, when they're in schools having archery, that literally – When kids are a part of the archery group, their grade point average could very well increase because archery makes them have to focus. And then that somehow helps apply towards their schooling as well. But so really, archery in a whole has a bigger meaning. I mean, it helps with multiple different things. Focus, breathing, uh, timing, uh, discipline, and patience.
2: Patience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it doesn't even matter what type of archery.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you strictly, and on the archery side, do you strictly shoot compounds or... Do you do you mess around with long bows and recurves?
2: Well, I mostly shoot my compound bow, but I also, when I teach, everybody starts on a bear recurve with me. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your end goal is. You're gonna start on a recurve with me, uh, and the reason for that is because I don't care where your arrow goes. I care about your form. I care about your safety. And as soon as you give people a sight, whether it's on a compound or otherwise. People are concerned about the target and you're, you know, in terms of becoming a good archer, it's just like working out and wanting to be in shape. It's 80% diet, 20% working out. Archery is 80% form, 20% target. Well said. Definitely.
1: You've made the whole transition from from vegetarian to going after a pig to spending a lot of time and doing something that's now your passion, your bow hunting and your shooting competitions. You know, on the other end, you know, you're pro staff. You know, you're on pro staff for a couple different people, or one person, or how, how many pro staffs are you on?
2: More than two hands full. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of work that goes involved with that, and, and you know, a a large part of our following guys and girls who, you know, they want to be that 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 next big shot who's on TV. They want to be on every pro staff they can, and you know, I think they just see mostly the glory side of it. The the they get to go on hunts and they get free gear. What's the backside of that? Because you've put so much work into that to be on multiple, multiple pro staffs. It takes a lot of work. So what's your what's your experience been with being on pro staffs, and what's like your benefits to that? What's what's the negatives? Is there any negatives?
2: Sure. Well, first of all, you know I I try to stress to everybody that asks me about pro staff, that pro staff means promotional staff. It does not mean professional staff, right? <laughs> thank you, so, thank you. <laughs> oh
0: my, yes.
2: <laughs> you know, You've been
0: <laughs> finally got it answered.
2: <laughs> I think that people have to realize their job is to promote companies, right? So on the backside of things, the company's job is not to give you free stuff. It's mm-hmm. your job to promote companies. And what's happening is companies are offering you offering you a stipend of some sort, generally free product, uh, in order to support their company in public places to talk to people and give them valuable information so people can make informed decision during with with purchasing power, you know, and really, if it came down to it, if I was rich, I would probably just buy all the stuff that I want and not be on any pro staffs because it's a lot more work, Uh, you know, in terms of hours put out than product received in and it should be more work. Because as someone who's, who's stepping up and has been selected as pro staff or has you know, applied to be pro staff, basically what you're saying is that I believe that I am a good role model in the industry. I believe that I can help further your company in the industry. And I also believe that the products that I'm using are the best products for me and for the people around me. You know, it's, it's one of those things that you're as a as a pro staffer you're you're really you're the little elves in the factory so to say you know you're 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 pounding the pavement you're hitting the doors you're you're knocking on people's doors you're going to pro shops and saying hey i think you should carry this item and this is why and you got to be a damn good salesperson Mm -hmm. otherwise the doors are going to be shut in your face and your pro staff career is not going to be very (laughs) long-lived
0: So, it's, you're the pro staffers are the the essence of the word of mouth mentality. They're the ones yeah. that spread the words.
2: I mean, there's of course the top, you know, top tier people who are professional archers who um, are on TV and stuff. Um, you know, and their their contracts are obviously a lot different than the average pro staff contract that that comes out of the works. But yeah, I mean, anybody that is interested in becoming you know, on a pro staff team has to understand that you're trading your time for pay. Your time is what you can do to make an impact in, in the archery industry with these products and in the industry as a representative of archery itself in exchange for usually free products.
0: Now, did you go to shows and introduce yourself and try to promote yourself right then and there saying, I would love to use your product? Or did you send out letters? Did you make phone calls? Did you have some sort of connections that would open doors for you? Like, what was it that you had to do? Specific- I guess you not to do everything specifically, but what were the steps that you took?
2: Sure. Um, I definitely did not have any connections. Um, <laughs> I basically said, you know what? I'm a student, I live on a student budget, I, I work part time. And I love archery. I love hunting. How can I make this happen for me? And I knew that if I did not figure out how to get it to pay for itself, I was never going to be able to do it because it is it's an expensive sport, whether people want to admit it or not. It's its not a cheap hobby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I basically asked some questions to some people uh, at the shops and stuff and kind of poked my nose around to kind of get some information that I needed to get to figure out, you know how does the backside of these com- of these various archery companies how does it work you know what are the politics behind it and that's the researcher in me uh, <laughs> but you know i put together a package just like i was applying to a job i didn't know what the industry standard was to apply for pro step i had no idea but i was going to do you know, i walked to the my own beat it it it's normal i'm kind of off the wall um people know that about me that that know me in person um and i generally do whatever I think is best for the situation. And it might be crazy. And apparently this was crazy. Um, so I put together a resume, meager archery resume. I've been to a couple local shoots. I, you know, did an academic paper, whatever. I mean, it was just some, some, some stuff where a beginning archer would start. And then I wrote a cover letter. And I also put together a projected outdoor schedule for the entire year of basically saying, this is my commitment of what I'm going to do in this area, and this is how, you know, I didn't have to come out and say it, but I gave a schedule that says, you know, if you if, if you sponsor me or if you, I can join your pro staff team, these are the places I'll be, and this is where your logo will be. This is where conversations will be. So three things, resume, shooting schedule, and cover letter. And I sent it together just like I was applying for a job. The cover letter was written like I was applying for a job. This is what I can do for you. At least I think. <laughs> 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 and I it off and I, I sent it off because I was on archery talk and hotshot manufacturing had posted that they were looking for pro staffers and to send an email to this address with an application package basically I did, I don't think it said package but um, and so I put together what I thought was the best idea uh, and I sent it in well the response was that is the craziest application I've ever gotten for a pro staff usually I get a, a, a paragraph saying this is why you should give me your product uh, because I really like this release or, or whatever. And so actually the reason why, you know, Shot paid attention to me is because you stood I out. put my stuff together professionally, as silly exactly. as it seemed because it, <laughs> apparently you don't apply like you're going in for a job interview. But I didn't know that. So.
1: <laughs> well, apparently you do though. <laughs> because, you know, maybe, maybe that's what more people should be doing. <laughs> you
0: probably set the standards now. <laughs>
2: A job you know and I saw it as a job because I saw it as an opportunity to be able to get into the industry a little bit and to kind of understand the thing that I became so passionate about and I'm thankful that they gave me that opportunity because if they didn't I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now <laughs>
1: so you know one thing you know to kind of kind of jump away from it a little bit the Bowrush Podcast is our our goal for it was to eventually get to a place where you know we can provide really cool stories, really cool guests coming on, but an educational side, you know, something that has legitimate information that's helping, you know, that next generation of archers or the generations already going, just helping them progress. You deal with a, a lot of youth. Um, you're a woman in the archery industry, which is becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, which I think is a great thing for the industry from your aspect, from where you sit, what you teach, you know, for those young kids coming up or, or the women who are just trying to get into it, you know, piece their interest, what do you recommend to them as far as you can suggest to youth, like go look at expo because of this, please do, you know, what's, what's a basic setup that they can go out and look for to help them get started?
2: Sure. that You know, this question is kind of hard to answer because I fit, <laughs> I try to fit individuals to bows that are going to work for them. So, to you know, I can't give you a blanket statement of like, oh, this bow should work for, you know, oh, yeah. every kid or whatever. But obviously, I mean, you guys know that. But, you know, I think I always tell my students, you know, don't overdo it. You've been shooting a bare recurve bow with me for however long and it's been fine. So don't feel like you need to go into a shop and be pressured to buy the, you know, $1,200 bow, you know, with all the bells and whistles right off the bat, because you so know you're going to outgrow it anyway. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I recommend that they start with something that will grow with them over time if they're kids. Um, you know, and it also depends on what, what they want to do. Do they want to hunt? Do they want to do target archery? I mean, it depends. But, you know, I, I think that I always tell everybody, go into an archery shop, look around, shoot a lot of bows, find out what bow feels right for you and why. And that's it. And then leave. Don't buy anything. Don't, you know, people are going to get mad because they're going to feel like you're wasting their time. But the bottom line is, if you go home and you think about why you liked a certain bow, you know, you like the back, you know, you like the back wall, you like how it felt in your hand, you like the draw cycle, I mean, whatever it might be that you like about a certain bow, you know, go home and think about it and then the next day, go to another archery shop and do the exact same thing and don't buy anything. Mm-hmm. And by the time you get to your third archery shop, you're going to know exactly what you like and what you hate. And then go into the archery shop that you felt gave you the best customer service after you didn't buy something and give them your business. Big uh,
1: supporters for the local archery shops. That's <laughs> yeah. I think that's 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 the lifeblood of the of the hunting industry, you know. That's where I think people are really going to get the most knowledge and get the most bang for their buck. So you know, all the support people can show for their local archery shop, the better, you know? Absolutely. Well,
0: I, I like to add a point to that, like what you were saying, big support. When I went to originally, I went to uh, Bass Pro. They have incredible <laughs> bows. They had a whole bunch of stuff. Cause I, I didn't know any better. And I, I went to Dick Sporting Goods. I went to Bass Pro. They had a lot of options. And a guy spent a good three hours, I guess we were just setting up a bow, I guess almost to the percent of walking out with it, but I just didn't do it that day. It's a good thing I didn't because when I uh, was speaking with Scott, he's like, no, 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 go check out a local Archer pro style place. And when I walked in, they basically spent hours again, looking at different bows. Mm -hmm. They uh, tested my draw link. Come to find out my draw link was a lot further. My bow weight was a lot more than when I was at Bass Pro. Not to say anything bad about Bass Pro, it was just happened to be that the guy there was setting up the bow for his personal draw length and weight. Mm-hmm. He was uh what was it? Uh twenty six yeah, twenty-six by sixty pounds. And I'm a twenty nine by seventy. And I he had everything set up at for his. And I was shooting it, not knowing any better. But I'm glad I decided when Scott was talking to Scott, he said, Go look at other places. And he was right, because if I had done that and I went to Bass Pro and only purchased, I would have got a bow that really wasn't set for me.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think with that lesson too, you know, kind of like what I was saying is it's not so much, what am I trying to say? (laughs) (laughs) It's sort of like, you know, the reason why I encourage people to go to multiple places is because you learn something different at each place. And Mm -hmm. if you're a new archer, the best thing you can do is ask a ton of questions. And sit on the information for a minute. You know, like you said, you wouldn't have known that it was set up wrong for you. It wasn't going to fit you. But by the time you went to the second shop, you knew that. If you would have gone to a third shop, you probably would have learned a little bit about arrows or about, um, you know, different things. And so by the time I feel like you go to three different shops, you kind of get a good idea of what you want and what you don't. Um, And you also learn to not be pressured into buying something that you shouldn't have to buy. (laughs) Because I have to admit, you know, I'm a big supporter of local archery shops, but sometimes it feels like you're going into a car dealership. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so.
1: They they got to sell something.
2: Absolutely. And I don't blame them for it. But at the same time, as an instructor, I want to make sure that, you know, my students buy something that they're going to be able to continue to use and that they're not going to return because an archery shop doesn't need a bunch of people coming to return stuff. Right. It... You know, they might as well make a sale that's going to stick.
1: So do you do you coach – out of different archery shops, or do you coach on, on on your own? You know,
2: I I coach on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I I am a certified archery instructor through USA Archery, and so I mean, my name is also on their roster. And so, you know, when people in the area can't make their lessons, you know, I'll fill in, or I'll get emails saying that you know so and so and their kids is looking you know for an archery lesson, so I answer some of those. But I. You know, I just teach on my own locally um, and I provide all the stuff. And I generally only charge enough to cover my insurance fees and, and you know, uh, equipment costs. I actually don't get paid for my time.
1: Wow. So you you really do love this. This is an absolute passion, teaching it and, and keeping it going.
2: Correct. And if people decide to pay me more than, you know, what I charge just to cover my costs, 100% of that goes into my now currently mason jar uh maybe i need to upgrade that to a little something more (laughs) professional but um, (laughs) mason jar fund for bringing kids out to hunt and fish so if somebody gives me say ten dollars more than you know whatever my costs are for that day which changed because sometimes i have to go out and buy arrows for people because they have a you know super long draw length or something but all that extra money goes into the mason jar when the mason jar is full enough with enough money for me to answer a letter i go through the letters and i answer a letter from a kid and i bring them out so i still don't get paid (laughs) (laughs)
0: The, the way of the nonprofit,
1: so to speak. Talk a little bit about that um, with the Mason Jar. What, what exactly is that for?
2: So uh, my best friend and I started getting some letters from kids that expressed interest in being able to either usually hunt, um, sometimes fish, and also learn how to shoot a bow. Uh, so we, we we got together and said, man, we got to do something about this. Like we have these kids. They can relate to us because we're from the city you know, we're we're polar opposites. I don't know if you've seen my best friend, but she's the polar opposite of me. You know, I'm a little white girl. She's a big black girl. So together, and we're both from the city. And I have so seen a photo, yes. We're very, we look like polar opposites. But I think that actually helps because being in Southern California, kids are able to to relate to us you know, we're not from the Midwest, we're not from, you know, a hunting family, we're not from the things that one would stereotypically associate with an archer or hunter. Um, And so together, we actually made a great, great pair. And all these kids started writing letters to us. And it's funny, because we didn't ask for kids to seek us out (laughs) they just did but through social media and so we started answering letters and saying hey okay I think we can do this this weekend and we started using local people here that have access to boats and things like that to be able to take kids out and we pay their cost for gas and bait and the things that we might need and you know uh, fishing licenses or whatever it is that we need to make the trip happen out of the mason jar and then the people who might own the boat also volunteer and donate their time. So on all aspects, no one's getting paid. <laughs> it's it's basically the mason jar just supports the cost of the activities.
0: That's great. What's interesting about that is because you're pursuing that, that's somehow now led to this enormous backlash that uh, has been going on recently. And um, surprisingly, it all happened because you did a, uh, was it, just a news report with uh, a local news station with you?
2: No, no, that's not how it started. That's not how it started. Okay, so it's (laughs) been going on a little longer. I didn't, the, the news was in, the news got involved as a reaction to everything. Not in the beginning of when stuff started happening. So it actually started. We don't actually know how it started, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: there was a, there was a troll somewhere that uh, yeah. that exactly. made a co- that made a comment. <laughs>
2: that is how it started. Um, it, I started getting some anti-hunting comments and things on my page, of which I just blocked and banned people because it's, as you, you probably both know, as soon as someone comments on your page, you can you can block them. Right. Until they make a comment, you can't do anything that they're there if they've liked the page. But as soon as they comment, you can block them. So I started blocking as fast as I could, and then all of a sudden it like blew up, and I was like, I cannot keep up with this. It's out of control. And at that point, I kind of had to make the decision to just let it ride. So all I did from that point was protect the kids that were involved, you know, made sure that the parents understood that their pictures were on my page, whether or not I should take them down. Everybody was like, nope, leave them up. It's fine. Uh, and so I just started monitoring those those bring a kid campaign photo album and blocking people from that. Uh, if they were making inappropriate comments towards children, uh, anti-hunting comments that were outrageous, whatever. Because they're my number one uh, interest at this point is to protect any kid that has either participated, has a desire to participate, uh, you know, in the bring a kid campaign. So now it's the social media is just on a roll. I don't even know. I can't even keep up with any of it. So I have no idea what's going on on my page. I had to disconnect because I was driving myself crazy trying to spend 18 hours a day monitoring social media.
0: Mm-hmm. I, you, I mean, the idea of hand, making sure that you're protecting the kids and their own feelings, because I mean, they did this because they were passionate about something. You were there to help show them this incredible experience and then having people without knowing the true facts behind it, start backlashing and saying things that just have no sense whatsoever. They couldn't, if they happen to find and read that, that could change and just affect the way they're going to pursue hunting in the future. So I mean, it makes sense. Um, that's good that you're, you're blocking that because I don't think they need to know about that now. They can worry about that later.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the point though, is to, you know, the comments are supposed to have that impact on, on them. That's the hope I think. But I'm doing my best to make sure that I monitor that because that, you know, children shouldn't have to deal with all of that. You know, I think, you know, if you're nine years old and you decide to come hunt with me, you know, the last thing you want is someone to trash the fact that you just did something that you're so proud of, you know, and, and you're excited about. And now all of a sudden you have these negative things associated with it. Well, coming
0: at the, the negative aspect and not to go too deep in it, but there's a, a petition that's been going around obviously. And I happened to read because you posted it and I was going through there. And what struck me was some of the things that they wrote, it seems like they really don't even think about what they're writing. One of the statements was real quick. It says, Hunting may have played an important role next to plant gathering and uh, scavenging for human survival in the prehistoric times. But in modern sportsmen's stalk and kill animals for recreation, hunting and violent and cowardice forms of outdoor entertainment that kills hundreds of millions of animals every year. Many are wounded and die a slow and painful death. But they, they write this but then they don't even think about what's going on with like the standard of certain farming industries and how they are capitalizing, putting all these cattle and everything into areas. And these don't have free range. They don't have this lifestyle. You know, what hunters do is they're advocates for helping create more natural environments, growing animals, yet they're saying that we're doing this horrible thing. We're actually maintaining it, but yet they're thinking is we're doing the worst case possible for animals, yet they completely by-side the idea of what's really happening in the food industry. And so it's it's crazy that they'll just start writing stuff and never really truly do all the facts and then start trying to get other people to just read these big, bolded statements and react to that.
2: Absolutely. Uh I, Well, I think... You know, largely, I think that education is what plays the biggest role in this. You know, we have two sides, so to say. I don't really like to say sides, but it is essentially two sides mm-hmm. that are going back and forth, arguing this point and that point, but there's actually no communication happening. <laughs> you know, there's no communication. And that and because there's no communication, there's no education. So, you know, the food politic of anti-hunters, vegans, vegetarians... You know, I lived it for a long time, and it's quite similar to that of the food politic of a hunter. So I think that it's it's an interesting phenomenon that occurs when when you have such backlash from both communities towards one another. you know, because when you're you're talking about a liberal food politic generally includes whether you eat meat or not generally includes locally sustainable, low carbon footprint, antibiotic, hormone, pesticide, herbicide free. I guess, I mean, that's that's oh, cruelty free and free range, right? Those those are the five sort of categories that people look for within a liberal food politic. Okay? Now, if you go to the other side, hunters, whether or not they identify with these sort of jargon words, the bottom <laughs> line is that they are still providing organic, free range, low carbon footprint, <laughs> antibiotic, hormone free meat, uh, that is cruelty free. Because cruelty, you know, cruelty free. In order for something to be stamped cruelty free, it just means that it has not live it's free range, basically. Those are the same politics. Whether or not we want to admit it as hunters, whether or not we want to admit it as as vegetarians or as local or as as someone who carries this academic sense of a liberal food politics they're the same so i don't know at how i don't know at what point the bridge that separated these two things got so long because really the bridge is not so much a bridge it's more like a sidewalk that you're jumping over <laughs> like it's 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 really not that different and so if people would start having conversations with one another about what actually occurs when hunting versus what Media, TV, uh, movies, you know, anti-groups have made it seem like actually occurs. It's very different. You know, and only thing that needs to happen is a little bit of education, a little bit of conversation and people to stop being reactive on both sides. You know, it's not about you or me. I mean, there's a conversation. Get over yourselves. Everybody needs to get over themselves because it's not about us. It's about bridging a conversation and bridging a gap in order to be able to have a conversation and being fine with the ability to walk away at the end, still not agreeing with each other. Absolutely. That's all that is. <laughs> Agree <laughs> well, to
0: disagree. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you got to add that point. Learn.
1: On all five of those points, you know, I don't think on the first four liberals would, would argue with, you know, it's – it's those are pretty steadfast. There's they're no pesticides, no herbicides. Deer are free-range. Elk are free-range. Pigs are free-range. I think it all comes down to that final one of 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 cruelty free where we're hunters, we know what happens with with a shot. we know our placement, we see the full process. All the other side sees is is the killing of an animal, and they see this probably hollywood style blood guts and gore that the animal suffered this massive death that took forever they they've never understood what actually occurs through a shot and what a hunter's thinking of when he takes a shot and what happens to the animal after the shot, you know? So I, th- I think that's probably the biggest, biggest sticking point. And I mean, I, I think you've mediated some of these conversations before is that, is that the big sticking point that you see is that cruelty free and how they're trying to, they see it one way, we see it another basically.
2: Well, there is a disconnect in understanding of language, you know, mm-hmm. just like the idea of trophy hunter everybody's definition is different so you know cruelty free happens to be the same thing you know there's meat in the in in the grocery store that is labeled cruelty free at least out here in california you can go to a store and buy meat that says cruelty free and and what that means is basically it was raised either in a humane way what whoever makes up that definition i'm not sure (laughs) Um, and that it was you know basically it means free range i mean Mm -hmm the short of it. It means free range. So I think that when we're coming to the table to discuss this idea of cruelty free, what we're really, what we really have to consider is that there are multiple groups of people with very different food politics. And I I am not, you're probably never going to hear me say the liberals, because I live in California, right? <laughs> I can't have conversations with people by lumping, oh, liberal, conservative, all I'm doing is alienating myself from being able to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. So there are anti-hunters, there are non-hunters, and there are meat eaters in both, and there are non-meat eaters in both. The conversations of cruelty-free are a little easier to have with people who are non-hunters, who are also meat eaters, who then have friends who are non-hunters and who are vegetarian or vegan, who then have friends who are anti-hunters that are meat eaters, and then anti-hunters that are not eaters. (laughs) So it's like a chain of command, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Subcategory after subcategory. There wow, is. <laughs> but
2: I mean, there is in hunting too. You know, mm-hmm. we're quick to say, oh, it's it's this group versus that group, and it's really not that simple. Everybody wants to put everybody in a nice, neat little box and tell tell them to stay there. And when somebody doesn't do that. All of a sudden, there's a reaction, which is what you're seeing with me. I I don't fit in a nice, neat little box of what a female is supposed to do and perform in life, according to gender role. I'm not in a nice little box for what a hunter is supposed to look like, you know. And so people freak out. They don't know what to do if they can't categorize people. But really, you know, individual food choice is individual. And I would imagine, at least in my experiences, the majority of people fall somewhere in the middle These conversations aren't that hard to have. Um, But again, you have to be willing to come to the table as being non-reactive, understanding it's not about you. You're not arguing whether or not you should be able to hunt. You're arguing about the idea and politics behind food. And all of a sudden, you're not, you're removed then. So you can be non-reactive. And then you also have to be listening to the conversation and engaging in a conversation. And most people, in my experience, have agreed to do that. I've even had vegans ask me to take them out hunting. Because if you're not reactive and you don't take it as a threat to, some, you know, someone's trying to take away your right, but instead you're just having a conversation with an individual at the moment. People start to talk and things do change. Um, you know, in the last six months, I've had several vegans and several vegetarians actually reach out to me and say, you know what? I, you have valid points. I would like to accompany you and actually see what happens. And maybe I would actually like to participate in the future. Wow. That's great. That's, that's huge. Yeah, that's
0: taken the first step.
1: All right. Hey, guys. So that was the first part of a two-part podcast with Jen the Archer Cordero. I mean, it's absolutely just a recap. You know, it's absolutely amazing to me that um, there's people like her in this industry that are so focused and understanding of we need the next generation to grow up and doing the things they want to do, being outdoors, going hunting, going fishing. Uh, and she's so focused on that, that she is literally getting death threats and hate mail.
0: Talk about you know getting not only death threats, but not uh, shying away from it, standing in front of the crowd and saying, I don't care and still wanting to pursue what she's doing. She's got the passion. She doesn't care that people are trying to, f- to do or say mean things about her and get her to stop through petitions. She has a a goal to get the
1: youth involved into hunting, and that takes a lot of guts. And she doesn't care. She's going through with her passion. She wants to provide an opportunity with her mason jar to to take the youth out on their next trip. That's just awesome to me. I'm, I'm excited to be part of an industry that has people in it that are that willing and that dedicated to youth. But uh, yeah, that was just the first segment of this podcast, the two parts that we've had a conversation with. And so she, she's got so much to talk about. Uh, there's a lot more to come. Uh, that's why we split it up into two. We're going to jump into that next one. Thank you for listening. And this is a two-part podcast with Jen Archer Cordero. Uh, the first part was 012, which you just listened to. We have 013 live launched already on the site so tune on over to it and hear the rest of the conversation that we had. It's just got a lot more to talk about and some other really intriguing points. So again, thank you for listening and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Again, if you'd like to check out the information on this show, the show notes, go to mybowrush.com forward slash 012. It'll take you right to the page, give you all the information that we discussed over this podcast, as well as it will give you a link to the second part of our conversation with Jen, which would be 013, which you can follow at that part. Also, check us out on our Facebook page facebook.com forward slash mybowrush let us know what you think of the show we'd really also like if you could go to mybowrush.com forward slash itunes it'll take you right to our page where you can give us a star review and let us know how we're really doing with the show we really like to hear your feedback well that's it for this episode we look forward to you listening in on our next show with jen the archer cordero talk to you soon thanks